You're listening to another episode of the Young Investors Podcast, so sit back and relax as myself, Brandon, and my buddy Hamish discuss the latest in the world of finance and stock market investing. Now, a quick reminder before we get into the podcast is that nothing in this podcast should be taken on as personal financial advice. If you're ever unsure about your finances or investing and you need some help, make sure you reach out to a qualified financial advisor. But with all that said, let's get into another episode of the Young Investors Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to episode 203, I do believe. Mm-hmm. How you going, mate? I'm doing well. Exciting week for me. Well. Past the milestone, 100,000 subscribers. Oh, yes, dude. Congratulations, <laughs> man. Yeah. Oh, uh, I, that totally just skipped my mind. But yeah, what an achievement, bro. That's yeah, it's, awesome. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a long time coming. It actually snuck up kind of quick. Uh, the last, it did. I think it was like, I had kind of two pretty or two or three pretty big videos in the last, I think, two or three months. Uh, and then that was like 20K subscribers. So it kind of rocketed from 80 to 100 pretty, pretty quickly. So it's crazy um, how that can happen, eh? Yeah, no, it's good. I'm um I'm excited. Yeah, it's it's been the it's congratulations. Funny. I told man. you about this as well. I said um, as soon as I started to get close to 100,000, my motivation would pick up. That's exactly what's happened over the last few months. So it's been really good. Um, and now you're not going to release another video for and like. And now I'm done, guys. Year. So I'll see you guys in 2024. <laughs> no. He's taking his silver play no. button and he's leaving. Nah, nah. I'm have a- you got have you got the uh, the message in your dashboard about your silver play button? No, yet? not yet. It said it takes nah. up to ten days, I think, Ta- or something. Takes a little ridiculous, while. So yeah, yeah. Um, so I got to wait, but yeah. Hopefully, yeah. It, I think it said uh, the delivery time was like two to three weeks, which is crazy. So if it actually does come that quickly, then quite fast. Um, I'll get it before well, Christmas, which would be nice. I don't want to down- downplay your achievement, but they make so many of those silver play oh, buttons yeah, yeah. these days. <laughs> it's, it's like the a, factory's just yeah, yeah. It's I, worse. I was having it's, a look. It's actually crazy. Oh, what was the number? There was I was I looked it up the other day because I was interested in how many, like what percentage I was in terms of overall channels, like like in terms of rank and how many were above. Mm. I can't actually remember now um, what the figure was for how many channels above a hundred thousand subscribers but it was something crazy like 300,000 or it was a it was a very large number i think over yeah. a million was like even over a million was like 20,000 channels which in the scheme of there's 100 million channels on youtube so it's like top yep. less than 1% uh which is still crazy but yeah it is it just gives you an idea of how big youtube is now um it's massive it's, it's, it's gigantic um so yeah i wonder if i can find my ranking yeah, I just Googled, uh, yeah, I can't even remember what I Googled. Something about, yeah. Yeah, so, so for context, I have a, it's like a mid-sized channel. I don't have a million subscribers or anything, but I have several hundred, I have six, 683,000 subscribers hmm. and Social Blade ranks me as uh, the 1,528th most subscribed to channel. Yeah, right. Wait. But there's no. But, that seems. But they have. But they. Everyone who's equal is also on that uh, particular rank. So. Oh, true. Yeah, it's not. It's so, so social blade's not very good for like figuring out. What what did what did you so use? I just it? I just went to. Uh, I'm not gonna be able to find it now, but I just googled for oh, YouTube okay. statistics, like channel statistics. True. Because um, there'll be a lot of channels with the same amount of subscribers. Yeah, yeah. but it, I I'm pretty sure it was something in the hundreds of thousands was over a hundred thousand subscribers and then over a million it was i remember being shocked that it was oh. still like 10 or twenty thousand or something like that um i found it you found it oh okay good so Give it actually numbers. says here um this subscriber rank this spot is shared with 85 other people 
and there are currently 57,100 channels in a higher position. Okay, there you go. 57,000. Yeah. yeah. So that's crazy. And so there's there's 57,000 channels out there that have more than 683,000 subscribers. Yeah. Whoa. It is crazy. Whoa. Yeah, it, it is mind-blowing. But then again, like you put that as a percentage, like 60,000 as a percent of 100 million channels is actually a tiny, tiny fraction. So it's yeah. uh you've got to really think of it in the in the, in the ballpark of uh of, of how big the platform really is now on a global scale this isn't just english you know channels we're talking about you know true tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of channels probably actually play millions of channels across you know asia and and europe and that sort of thing in different languages so um yeah, yeah it's a it's, wow. a it's a big uh it's a big playground now there's lots of kids lots, <laughs> lots, lots of so. <laughs> but it is still exciting and this is why people say is what's going to be the next YouTube? Yeah. What's going to take over YouTube? Nothing. I just don't think that's going to happen. No. Like, not, look not at those numbers. Future. No. Not yeah. for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Never say yeah. never, of course. But yeah. I in think, the medium term, yeah, definitely. In our not. lifetime, we'll certainly see it. Um, oh, for sure. We, for sure. We will certainly see a big transformation. I, I yep. mean, maybe even in the first half of our life as well, especially if VR and AR takes off significantly and the platforms that are popular there are far different to the ones that are popular on when we're consuming content on laptops and phones. Um, yep. we re- who knows? Uh, maybe YouTube mm. just trend- Maybe we'll be doing 3D virtual YouTube videos in, in, in 15 years. Who knows? Maybe it'll still be YouTube that's on top. <laughs> and we'll have to get all this fancy maybe. equipment uh, to, to be able to put videos together. <laughs> Yeah, that'd be weird. Um, All right. What are we talking about today? Oh, we've got the Federal Reserve releasing their statement after their two-day meeting. A lot of central bank stuff. Elon Musk has finally bought Twitter and all hell is breaking loose. So, we'll talk about what's going on there. Mm. Um, A bit of news with TikTok as well. And also some uh, interest rate news from around the world, Australia and England. And Uber, if we get time, we'll have a look at Uber's earnings. That hopefully we get to some Q&A as well. Mm. So, we got a lot to talk about, Hamish. This seems to happen (laughs) every week. We'll do our best. We have a lot to discuss. We'll see. So, let's do it. Today's episode is sponsored by ShareSite, which is an application you can use to track the performance of your stock portfolio. So you can bring in all of your trades either automatically by connecting your broker. You can use, also use Excel or you can enter your trades in one by one manually if that's something you want to do. And once you do, it will track all of the gains and losses in your portfolio. So capital gains, dividends. If you have dividend reinvestment plans, it will do those calculations for you. Currency gains, if you're buying shares uh, internationally or you hold foreign currencies, and then you can also use it for when it comes to tax time. So ShareSite generates up to 12 different reports that can be used to track the performance of your portfolio, as well as use the tax time to work out things such as capital gains, dividend income, and more. At the moment, you can try ShareSite for free by heading over to sharesite.com forward slash young investors. That's site spelled S-I-G-H-T, sharesite.com forward slash young investors. So use that link, sign up to a free plan. You can track up to 10 different holdings, so 10 stocks, ETFs, that kind of thing in your portfolio, completely free forever. And you also get access to a lot of reporting anyway. Uh, but beyond that, if you want to sign up for full reporting um, and benchmarking against the index and that sort of thing, uh, then you can get four months off a yearly subscription if you use our link. So whether you're signing up for a free plan just to check it out or you want to sign up or upgrade to a premium plan if you already have an account, um, use that link and you'll be supporting the podcast in a little way. 
And uh, this doesn't just go for people in Australia and New Zealand, for those who are wondering if this is an Australian, it is an Australian based business, um, but it, it works all around the world. And I think it supports yep. most of the major stock markets, including, yeah, it does. Uh, it, it's very broad. I think it was like up to 20,000 stocks across a vast number of um, platforms. So uh, yeah. yeah. Lots of markets. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. Uh, actually, yeah. Some people do think that Share sites just for Australians, but no, definitely not. Hmm. Works around the world, around the world. <laughs> that's, that's my you best get a little, attempt. You get a soundboard, get some music into this podcast. Oh, yeah. That'd be nice, man. Yeah. I would just abuse the hell out of a soundboard. Air horns all the way through the episode. <laughs> do, 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 do. Yeah, that, that, that's actually a disaster. Maybe I'll get the soundboard. You can- <laughs> okay, you can have the soundboard. <laughs> Give it back. Uh, where should that would we- be pretty fun. Where, where do you want to start today? Where, should we start with Elon? I think we should start with Oh, uh, yeah. This is, this is the, yeah. probably the biggest story of the week. Everything's probably. kind of thrown into chaos over at, uh, over at Twitter yeah, now. Yeah, true that. If you use Twitter, then everything's been thrown into chaos. If you don't mm. really use Twitter, then, well, it doesn't really bother you yeah, at all. No one really um, but yes, it. last Friday, uh, it was official- Elon Musk, he uh, he fired the he bought Twitter and he fired the company's CEO, CFO, uh, policy and legal team leaders, mm. um, and dissolved Twitter's board of directors. There you go, bang! He's gone for the it's hometown like a- international approach of being the only director and being the secretary yeah. in every. He's taken every position. <laughs> so there you go. So yeah, they're all out. He bought it. He bought Twitter for forty four. Uh, billion dollars, Hamish, 44 billion. So there you go. I mean, honestly, the spread on that was so massive. You remember we were talking about that? Like Twitter uh, shares were, yeah, were well, nowhere near right? 54. I think it was 54, 20 or something. I can't even mm. remember. But it was like 20, Twitter 25% shares. or in that range, maybe a bit more than that. 30. Um, no, I think at one stage, well, it, hang yeah, on, let me. It, it did vary quite significantly. When when the deal was going to fall through, I think um, it was uh, it, it was almost maybe 35 or 40% that the spread was um, between mm. the price that the stock was and the price at which Musk said that he would uh, had, had made the offer at. So that's what we're talking about when we say spread, just the, the difference you could have made if you were holding uh, Twitter shares um, prior to this confirmation um, and what mm. you'll get paid out ultimately. Um, but yeah, yeah it, it was, was certainly big, more big than... Yeah, okay. It was certainly more than the Microsoft spread, which I don't think that acquisition has gone through still. So that one's still- No, uh, no, it hasn't. It's like going through regulatory approval. But yeah. yeah, no, you're right. It was about like 30%. Microsoft's one was like 10%. Yeah, 10%. And then the Twitter one was like 30%. So, I mean, if you had some sort of inside knowledge and you knew that, I don't know, some- Well, not insider knowledge, but if you had some sort of like mm. legal brain and you could figure out that this was going to go through- and yeah. you made a bet on that, then there you go. You've made, what, 30% in a very short amount of time. So yeah. that's what Warren Buffett's trying to do, but with uh, Activision stock at the moment. So yeah, yeah, pretty crazy. Mm. Um, but on top of that, so he's also announced a lot of changes to the platform already. Um, so Elon Musk laid out a series of ideas on Tuesday for a new user verification process for Twitter. 
Mm. Uh, in a thread of tweets, Musk criticised the current system, which gives a blue check mark or verification to notable users like politicians, members of the press, executives, and other people and organisations. Musk said he will give, quote, power to the people by offering verification through Twitter Blue for $8 a month. He said participants will get uh, priority in mentions, replies, and search, receive half as many ads, and will be able to tweet long videos and audio. He added that a secondary tag will appear below the names of users who are public figures, which, as Musk pointed out, already exists for politicians. So right. there you go. Thought, thoughts on that? You, um, you were yeah, tweeting so, about this Yeah, I was tweeting about week, it a little bit. I, ironically. I, because my problem is that, look, I, I think I've said this for a long time. I think we spoke about it in Omaha. Um, I think it's a great idea because by charging a small amount of money, they can cover the human element uh, that is involved in doing the verification process, which is a relatively small process. And if you assume someone stays verified for years or at least a year, then they're going to make money on those. It's very easy for them to, to hire the people necessary and still make money on it. My question is whether I, I didn't get a clear answer, at least from looking at Musk's tweets, as to whether you're actually just paying for the, the tick or whether you're paying for a human to go through the normal verification process of maybe you upload a couple of ID points like you might do when you're verifying with, you know, um, signing a contract with a phone company or something like that. Um, mm. So I'm not sure uh, which it would be. And what, there was a comment below one of his posts that asked about people impersonating, just using the tick mark to scam. And his reply was that already just, that already happens. So he didn't actually answer the question, which that kind of indicated to me that potentially this isn't an actual verification tick anymore, that it genuinely is just pay for the tick rather than mm. pay to be verified, which I think pay to be verified is absolutely a great idea. Uh, pay to get the tick that on every other social platform is genuine verification is a disaster. That is, that's, that's, that's a disaster. <laughs> that is literally giving scammers a tick that people have believed for many years is a, a true uh, indication that mm. this is that person who I'm, I'm, I'm interacting with. Um, I can so see what you're side. saying. I think he, he came back in another tweet and saying that although technically a spammer could create a verified or a, a blue check mark, well, let's not call it verified, a blue check mark account mm. and try and spam their way through, I think his... Elon's uh, idea was that it makes these uh, targeted spam, I don't even know where they're based in the world, but these targeted spam efforts, mm -hmm. it makes it very, very expensive for them to do it because they have however many thousands of accounts and each one of those accounts has to pay $8 a month. And plus, if they get, re if they get reported, um, and or if they engage in spam activity, and I do trust that Elon will put in some measures to actually be able to detect spam activity, repeat comments, that kind of thing. Yeah. Then they do get they do get automatically kicked off the platform. So I think his idea is that maybe the way to defeat the spammers is sure they can buy a blue check mark if they want, but they're going to have to pay for it. And hopefully by the, the fact that they have to pay for it, the, the business that is spamming people out of their money no longer makes money on Twitter so they don't do it anymore. Yeah. Does that make sense? I, I get that. And I, I think it can certainly uh, deter some of the very body spam stuff that we see. 
Uh, mm. Yeah, I'm just still concerned about the idea of fundamentally changing what it means that tick mark means because i think a lot of people just think yeah, oh it's, it's just a status thing for celebrities and celebrities are just upset that their status is going away that's really not what it is it's because we get fake accounts made about us and uh, it's on every other platform since the beginning of the internet is it's a genuine tick of approval of of this is mm. the this is the genuine person and that's no longer going to be the case i mean yeah there is going to be a barrier of cost but someone still could pay $8 and make an account called Hamish Hotter, put my profile on it. And then it, if I don't pay for it, I probably get mass reported. So I have to pay for it just to match the scammer. And then even if I do get it, I'm not proving that I'm myself because the, the scammer yeah. also has it. So yeah. I, I see what you mean. I just don't That's like true. it, especially since he could hire people to do it. Like think about like human verification would genuinely take per person it would take one employee. One employee could verify tens of people in an hour, right? So you're talking about a very small amount per person uh, to just check the photo, the name, that kind of thing. Uh, and then they collect hundreds, hundreds of dollars in revenue from that person going forward. I would even pay mm. far more than $8 a month for genuine verification. I don't Genuinely, understand why, yeah. why they couldn't just do that. I, I hope that there's it's, it's still something like that. Um, that's a good point, actually, because on YouTube, I am not st super stressed. I still don't like that there's spam, but there's not much we can do about it. But I'm not super stressed about the spammers because they have to include these wacky names and they have to include like Telegram plus blah, blah, blah. And they also yeah. don't have a verification tick when they comment. Correct. Yeah. So that's pretty easy. I mean, it's, it blows my mind that people still fall for it, which is very sad. But um, yeah. But I'm not super concerned for the majority of people because it's quite obvious that, okay, there's no verifi verification tick. Even if the channel's called New Money, it doesn't have the verification tick. It's not Brandon. So yeah. I'm not. But then again, when I go over to Instagram, hmm. I don't have a large following at I, all on Instagram. I've never really yeah. tried it. And I, I myself don't have a verification tick for the New Money account. Yeah. So that's where I get a lot of people messaging me saying, yeah. It, wait, which which one is you, dude? Yeah. Because, and, and they can't tell. Yeah. So. And, and on YouTube, if you click on the scammer's account that's impersonating you, they don't have any of your videos. They have no subscribers because you can't bot True. any of that away. Whereas on Twitter, you can just bot um, retweet every post. So it's not exactly mm. the same, but it looks, it's pretty close. And uh, if people have far less followers, like I think I have like 1,500 followers, that's so easy for them to buy followers that match that amount same yeah. on Instagram and Instagram they could just yeah. port all of the all of your content over so it's so easy to make a really similar looking profile whereas on on YouTube the, that problem yeah as you said doesn't really exist um, mm. so yeah I'm, I'm, there you go I'm not yeah I'm a, I'm a little concerned about about that um, but uh, it is what it is it's not my platform so. Mm. Um, he's certainly standing up. He's copying a lot of criticism for this eight dollars a month thing, but he is—he's uh, yeah. kind of memeing it now. <laughs> yeah, like what was that thing with AOC that he tweeted? Yeah, earlier? I don't know. AOC was making some insinuation that it's affecting free speech or something. Um, and then what he he said, okay, thank you. Now pay eight dollars or something like that. <laughs> yeah. which which I thought was the pretty funniest good. thing it's, was it's, then yeah. he he linked to. Um, he linked to her merch page, yeah, which yeah, has, has like a, t a hoodie or with like yeah. AOC, which is like a fifty-eight dollar hoodie yeah. or something I, like that. I, yeah, <laughs> I have no. I, I just find it ridiculous when when people like it, it's kind of like the Bernie Sanders caring about the Mars family that makes like 
candy bars like um, being billionaires. <laughs> like if it's not, I kind of get it when it's related to people making a lot of money off necess- necessity items like health or something that people need. And it feels, you know, that it's kind of wrong that someone's maybe gouging their way on on the back of someone's necessity but when it comes to like something like paying for twitter premium or 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 eating chocolate bars like i just have no respect for people who like just clearly hate just the idea of people freely transacting like you don't you have free speech on twitter if you don't get this verification tick like that is absolutely absurd to suggest that there's any limitation on your freedom of speech because of that um Especially because AOC would argue that uh, freedom of speech doesn't extend to private platforms because she probably wants quite a lot of censorship on what's allowed on platforms anyway. So it's just absurd, hypocritical, um, but it's fun to dunk on them. So (laughs) He should totally just meme the hell out of this now. He should like go full advertising Twitter being like free speech for just $8 (laughs) a month. (laughs) That's what he should do. Uh, it's just so he good. Just lean into it. Yeah, it's so. He's good got enough the, followers, and the politicians politicians have to pay. Like they kind of have to. Yeah. So it's just that's the funniest thing. It's just this so is good. their platform. Yeah. This is how they get their message out. It's so good. <laughs> it's great. Oh. Yeah. My my opinion is they should just everybody every normal pleb has to pay eight dollars, and then all politicians have to pay like fifty grand a month. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Make them bleed. Yeah. Should scale it to a follow uh, follow account. <laughs> yeah. Or that would be interesting. Uh, that would be very interesting. That'd be pretty funny. Oh, uh, dear. Anyway, so that's that's uh, that's what Elon's doing. That's what Elon's doing. Um, anything go. else to add on the on the Elon um, Musk? I don't think train? so. I, I th- I'm just excited that he's actually, it, it, regardless of what's kind of happening, it is exciting to see some changes happening. Um and uh, he he seems to like he spends a lot of time on Twitter as as, as far as I can tell. So it, it seems, and he also kind of engages with a lot of ideas. So uh, it'll be really interesting to see what changes happen because there could very well be some big, some other big changes that happen over the next year or so that are meaningful and make you know uh, a really interesting platform. So um, mm. I'm pretty excited by that. <laughs> There's a great meme that he's posted where it's like happy face with a Starbucks thing and it's $8 and they're like, oh, yeah. And then it's like $8 for 30 days of Twitter verification and people are like, oh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> outcry. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's pretty funny. Anyway, um, what what should we talk about next? Uh, let's do let, let's let's breeze through some uh, some federal some central bank uh, changes okay. that uh, interest rate changes that happen. I'll start with Australia, and then we can. Uh, I think you've got the US that happened this okay. week as well, and uh, we've also got the Bank yep. of England. Uh, a little bit of uh, news out of them as well. So it's all happening this week. Um, but the uh, the Australian Central Bank, the Reserve Bank of Australia, did their seventh consecutive rate hike this week. Uh, it was a 25 basis point hike, so a tiny, tiny little hike mm. in the scheme of uh, hikes that we've seen around the world, uh, bringing just the total to one. just uh, <laughs> just a little bit, uh, bringing the total to, um, that's a niche joke if anyone got that, <laughs> bringing the total to 2.85%, uh, which again is, is very low um, compared to some of the other central banks. I think um, oh, well, you, you'll take us through the US and, and, and what they've reached, which is uh, quite considerably higher than that. Uh, but even still, it's the highest cash rate, the official cash rate in Australia since 2013. Um, and of course, sits well below the long run average of 5 plus percent. 
Um, in terms of uh, the direct kind of impact, it's always a good idea to take a look at how it immediately will affect mortgages as, uh, as the major banks um, have uh, had a habit of uh, immediately passing on any interest rate hikes to um, the variable loan interest rates on mortgages. A $500,000 loan will see a $74 per month increase uh, on this uh, rate hike. <laughs> and since Mar- uh, May, excuse me, if you include all of the rate hikes since May, uh, it's uh, now those mortgages are up seven hundred and sixty dollars per month on a wow. half a million dollar loan, which is um, pretty significant. It's starting to get that is you know, significant. quite significant. I think it's uh, in the ballpark of about f- a forty percent increase in the overall payment uh, since wow. May. Uh, since uh, well, forty percent overall increase since um, the 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 bottom, which was um, you know back in twenty twenty one, I believe. Uh, so yeah, uh, pretty significant uh, rate hikes kind of continue to, to go, even though mm. our official cash rate is um, still quite low, uh, mm. you know, relatively speaking. Um, but I guess that's the point, right? That's the point is to take people's money away from them. Yeah. Take businesses' money away from them. Say, no, 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 you don't have this money anymore. We have it now. And, uh, and uh, all of a sudden they spend less and inflation, inflation comes down. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, and even though I think uh, I think it was last week or the week before, we saw that a lot of the inflation, or most of the inflation, I should say, is in non-discretionary purchases, things that are kind of necessities. There's a large part, as we saw, that was discretionary, uh, and it's it's in that area that we should expect to see quite a slowdown in demand or slowdown in inflation from this impact as people kind of uh, have to spend more on their mortgage. They don't have a choice about that. So they will cut um, discretionary spending that's not necessary um, for them. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, uh, this rate hike comes uh, after, you know, inflation hit uh, 7.3% at the end of September uh, in Australia. Uh, That was our last kind of figure. The RBA also gave a projection for the end of the year. They expect inflation to continue to rise and peak at 8% by the end of the year. They said, uh, as is the case in most countries, inflation in Australia is too high. Over the year to September, uh, the CPI inflation rate was 7.3%, the highest it's been in almost three decades, uh, the Treasurer Lowe said. Uh, Inflation is then expected to decline next year due to the ongoing resolution of uh, global supply side problems and recent declines in commodity prices and slower growth in demand. So combination of slowing demand driven by interest rate increases, as well as some of the supply side issues um, healing themselves uh, is, uh, is, is what they expect to kind of happen over time. (laughs) <laughs> yes. it's what we've been hoping for the past year or two yeah, and, and, yeah it, that was the whole feds argument back in the days like it's transitory don't worry the supply chain will come back and then we're all good yeah yeah and i, I wrote that down it's it's important to remember that uh pretty much every report that's come out we've seen central banks um change their forecast for where in, interest rates or where inflation will peak we've seen that pretty much every single month um since for the past 18 months. So, mm. uh, whenever you hear, oh, well, things are easy, going to ease, this is the peak, just remember that they've moved the goalposts every month or every quarter for a long time. So, just yeah. <laughs> keep that in the context of, where, of, uh, of their ability to actually predict when these things will resolve themselves. Um, yeah, it was like a we reporting like a little while ago 
that there were, the Fed was the Fed came out and said, "Look, we three we think that three zero point two five percent rate hikes in twenty twenty two will be appropriate." <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. uh i remember i remember i think i made a video about that at the time <laughs> yeah it's like wow <laughs> oh, th- that that seems sweet now <laughs> yeah yeah can we can we have that now <laughs> yeah but uh it just goes to show you like they don't know they yeah don't know well that yeah so w- when did you say that was that must have been in the start of the year right or just before oh. the start of the year because they didn't start rate hiking until this year so uh yeah, the, yeah, it must have yeah. been. I'm gonna try and find. Yeah, it. I'm pretty sure it was at the start of the year they said we were all kind of saying whether it was going to be more or less than three rate hikes um, throughout the yeah. year, which is crazy because yes, Australia's at seven, and um, I think the US has done more than that potentially. I'm not exactly sure. Um, yeah, I think I think around about there. Oh, why can't I find it? Why can't I find it? Let's search my channel because I made a video about it. Fed. Let's search Fed. Yeah, here we go. Uh, the Federal Reserve confirms three interest rate hikes are coming in 2022, published mm. December 2021. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, there you go. It's less less than a year ago and they were absolutely wrong by a huge margin. And I remember because we made a pre- – I'm pretty sure at the start we made a prediction. We'll have to come back and circle back to this. But I think we made a prediction about whether there'd be more or less hikes. And I'm almost certain we, we were just dancing around three, like maybe four or five rate hikes. But certainly even – uh, us who we who, who, seven who, yeah we had the idea in our heads <laughs> that potentially inflation could just continue to spiral and I think but even then we weren't brave enough to you know to make a prediction of, of that many rate hikes so yeah it's it is very difficult with all these numbers coming out all the time to remember and like zoom out step back and look at the bigger picture of of um what's kind of been happening and, and how uncertain it all really is um mm. yeah don't yeah no one knows no one yeah. knows the yeah. thing we do know is that we don't know. Yes. <laughs> um, do we have more to talk about on the Australian side? Um, that's pretty much it. One of the things I wanted to note was that uh, ours, we have been Australia has been a bit slower with our interest rate hikes, but uh, a big reason for that is because we have a heavy reliance on variable uh, and short-term fixed mortgages. And that ultimately means that uh, people are far more likely to feel the pinch of rate hikes faster than maybe in the US. And therefore- uh, less rate hikes may be necessary to curb the discretionary inflation. So that's just something to keep in mind that uh, even though uh, even though our, our inflation might be the same as another country, if they have more fixed loan mortgages and fi- and, and long term loans and that sort of thing, uh, then they may be able to um, sustain higher interest rate hikes than we can. Therefore, less is necessary for us to get inflation down. So that's just something to kind of keep in mind. Um, and then I'll, uh, you, you want to take us to the U S and then we can circle back to yep. the UK. Sure. Um, so I think this is probably the most watched interest rate kind of FOMC meeting. Yep. I think most people eyes are on here. Although in the UK, a lot of people have been watching what's been going on in the UK lately as well, which we will talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, but over in America, the federal reserve has just finished their two day meeting and uh, it says here the Federal Reserve on Wednesday approved a fourth consecutive three-quarter point interest rate increase and signaled a potential change 
in how it will approach monetary policy to bring down inflation. Mm. In a well-telegraphed move that markets had been expecting for weeks, the central bank raised its short-term borrowing rate by 0.75 percentage point. Percentage, yeah, by 0.75 percentage point. I guess it's not quite a point, points, <laughs> plural. 0.75 percent. We'll say it like that. Uh, to the target range of 3.75 to 4%, the highest level since January 2008. The move continued as the most aggressive pace of monetary policy tightening since the early 1980s, the last time inflation ran this high. Um, although the interesting thing that people have been highlighting online and in the media is that they added a, a, a new section to their release. So I think their release is pretty much like copy-paste, 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 copy-paste. In fact, yeah. people go through and they like analyze it, cross out what was their last time, what isn't their last time, and what is there now, wasn't their last time. And they, they like compare yeah. and see, okay, how is their wording changed? So Jerome's lazy is what you're saying. He just copy yeah, and paste the previous report, stick some random yeah. number in there, and then yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, um, wait, so do, I have to, a- do I have to do a rate hike this month? Oh, just do the same as last. Just do the same as last yeah. month. <laughs> oh, that, that statement's out today. Uh, <laughs> what was last month? Uh, that sounds about right. I might just update that and send it. <laughs> Sincerely, funny. Jerome Powell. <laughs> no, it's okay. So there was um, a new section added to the to the statement. There was a new section, yes. This time they added that uh, the Fed, quote, will take into account the cumulative tightening of monetary policy, the lags with which monetary policy affects economic activity and inflation, and economic and financial developments. Okay. That's, Sounds ambiguous. That's a new section. Um so people are, re- but that that section wasn't there last time. So people are reading into this and saying, okay, is this a potential sign that the Fed could be considering slowing or stopping rate hikes, as this was the only bit of text that was changed um, to the last after their last meeting, which was September the twenty first. Yeah. Um, and funnily, this idea actually. Uh, aligns really well with what Elon Musk was saying on the Tesla earnings call that we were talking about two mm. weeks ago. Yeah. Um, because he said that he basically said the Fed needs to be really careful in raising rates further um, because they might be inflicting unnecessary harm because at the moment he's seeing more deflation than inflation at the present time. And the thing to remember is that all these rate hikes that uh, are affecting the now are based on data that has already happened last month. Yeah. So all of these uh, these policy decisions, these interest rate rises, are always done looking in the rearview mirror as opposed to looking out the front windshield. And that's a, a, an important thing to to kind of remember about how this is all done. Mm. Um, so what else have I got to say? Um, yeah, so basically that's all I had to say. Maybe Elon does have a point and maybe now the Fed are kind of updating their stance now that maybe they're also seeing this. Okay, so in most items now it seems to be deflating at the present time. We won't get the numbers for that for another month or so, but maybe we need to start treading a little bit more cautiously. Yeah. But that would be a fairly big 180 on what they were saying last month, which is we know the from history the – the consequences of slowing down too quickly, so we're not going to do that. But anyway, what what do you make of this? Is it, it, I, I'm it, probably reading too much into this. Well, it, yeah, I think it's just hard to. It is very hard to read. Everyone wants to 
all, all these news articles, they kind of want to, they want any piece of a nugget that they can say, the, the you know, rates are going to go this way or that way. It's very difficult to say, I think. But yeah, it, it would be strange, I think, if they suddenly didn't do any more rate hikes, given yeah what we just heard the last couple of months where they, they, they were saying, no, we don't want to even stop once inflation starts coming down. We want to make sure we're pushing it right into that that range, um, which tended to indicate that they were willing to go to go, you know, too far harshly rather than yeah, lightly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, who, who, who really knows? Um, yeah. I don't know. Jerome tends to kind of preemptively say things. So maybe this is the, the first step. Maybe it's his, this is the first contact. This is our first contact. And then, you know, next <laughs> time he'll, he'll bring, he'll mention it like twice or something. And then, yeah. and then, then maybe in a couple of months, we'll see a, a rate, um, no more rate hikes or something, but who, who really knows? Um, it yeah. shows you that they're aware of, like they're very aware of what people are talking about at the moment. Yeah. Like we will I- take into account the cumulative tightening of monetary policy and the lags with which monetary policy affects economic activity. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, it shows you that they're switched on, like they're watching it, I guess. Maybe that's all they wanted to achieve. It's like, yeah, yeah we're still raising rates, but think- we want to tell you plebs out there that we know, like, we're watching this. You know? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think all, all anyway, in all, Jerome's done a, he's done a very good job so far. Um, I thought it was a little bit late on the rate hikes, but, uh, you know, oh, absolutely. fair was, enough, yeah. I, I think, to not... Um, yeah, it's it's impossible to be perfect, of course, but yeah. I feel I feel confident with Jerome Powell running the Federal Reserve, uh, like o- yeah. over at least maybe um, some other central bank leaders. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, he should be the best because he's got the most history to look back on on what did and didn't work. So yeah. naturally, every leader, every next chair of the Federal Reserve should be better than the last because they've just got more yeah. examples to to look back on. Yeah. But no, I think he'd do it. I, I mean, people, I think, fa- have fairly criticised him about the sheer um, amount of stimulus that yeah. that kind of went on, which is fair enough. Like, it, it is quite mind-blowing exactly. The, like, it, just trying to think about how all those trillions of dollars, like, that's a real number, mm. but it's almost hard to even contextualise how big that number really is. Yeah. how much money was digitally created. But I think overall, I mean, even though it seems like from month to month, like they do, it's not for another month that they do another hike. They they are acting very quickly, um, which I think is good. But yeah. um, it seems like what Ray Dalio said, they, they went very quickly in one direction and now they're very quickly going in the other direction. So how this all plays out, time will tell. I don't know. I'm not a macro expert. No. It'd be cool to like chat to a macro expert. Yeah. There's plenty of like Twitter pages and stuff that are just like boss on the macro. I mean, we're really not. We talk about this stuff because it's important to keep up on, but we're not macro investors at all. I mean, this doesn't really affect our investing in the slightest. It's just good to know the context behind what's going on in the macroeconomic environment. Yeah. I mean, even someone like Ray Dalio isn't really making prediction macro, like at least not one-year macro predictions because his philosophy is still just basically to to widely diversify so that wherever the money flows, you'll you'll invest. I like listening to Ray Dalio because he talks about the mechanics but the mechanics are it's just the theory and, and in, in the real world there's so many other factors that can influence you know what we actually see happening um so yeah i don't tend to listen too much to uh macroeconomists who make 
short-term predictions saying, oh, well, jobs are going to do this and interest rates will do that and then this will happen. Pointless. Mm. More just understanding what the mechanics say will happen if certain things play out. If inflation does continue to go, we don't know if it will, but if it does, this is what, you know, the set of circumstances that will happen after it. That's what I like listening to. And Ray Dalio is is excellent for that. Um, mm. But... Um, but yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, what's going on in England? Yeah, so this is just a bit of a preemptive uh, story. So there, the Bank of England is set to raise rates. So I think that's okay. going to happen. Well, by the time you're seeing this, uh, it will have happened, but they're expected to raise rates uh, 75 basis points uh, tomorrow for us. Uh, and that would bring their rate to 3%. So the Bank of England, again, is behind the US, slightly ahead of uh, Australia, but Considering their current inflation is ten point one percent, they're they're quite far behind relative to um, uh, relative to the US, um, and um, yeah. So I guess we'll see what they end up doing, but that um, seems likely what's going to happen. Um, and yeah, that's um, that's pretty much all I had for Bank of England. Um, oh, okay. There yeah. you go. Nice. Just a little update. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> um, what should we talk? Oh, can I tell you about this this crazy story? Taylor Swift, you know her? You heard of her before? No. Who is that? No, he's she lying. played basketball. She played basketball. I've seen <laughs> your Spotify most recently played. I know. On that like live sidebar, you're just like, Hamish listens to a lot of Taylor Swift. And just It's Bieber. a love story, baby. Just say yes. <laughs> <laughs> um yes, this now is what a, I done. wanted to include this because it's actually just incredible. Taylor Swift currently occupies all of the top 10 spots on the Billboard Hot 100 list. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. How how insane is that? That is pretty crazy. That is flipping <clears throat> crazy. Anyway, sure enough, it's, it's leading to quite a lot of financial success for Taylor. Mm. And uh, on the back of this amazing success, Taylor Swift said Tuesday she's heading back on tour as she occupies all of the top 10 spots on the Billboard Hot 100 songs with her new album, Midnight's. She's the first artist ever to achieve this Billboard feat. Um, her album has enjoyed massive su- success since its release on at midnight on October 21st. The song Antihero was the top spot, followed by Lavender Haze and Maroon. Two official music videos for Bejeweled and Antihero have, have combined over 60 million views wow. on YouTube since the album's released. That's yeah. crazy. Swift also announced her... Imagine putting it like a mid-roll in, in the middle of the music <laughs> video. <laughs> yeah, you can't be doing that. <laughs> that, would, uh, that would be so funny. Like you just have... You draw your music... You know how sometimes the, there's the music video and it just goes on for like forever? And yeah, it's like yeah. a skit as well. It's yeah. like an act. Imagine yeah. having like just making it hit the eight-minute mark yeah. and dropping a mid-roll in the middle <laughs> of it. <laughs> So bad. Uh, that would be so funny. Oh, my God. Um, anyway, Swift also announced her next tour, uh, her first in nearly five years. Uh, Taylor Swift, the era's tour, is scheduled for 27 dates at US stadiums beginning in March. Swift said international dates will be announced soon. She described it as a journey through all the musical eras of her career. Um, is this your way? Talk about. Is this your way of telling me you want me, us to get tickets to Taylor Swift next year? Is this, it, it is. We, we could have just done this off the podcast. You know, I would have said it yes. Is. You've seen my Spotify playlist. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's nothing. There's nothing to talk. I just wanted to add it in here because yeah, that, that is, is an incredible achievement. Yeah, that there's, is an there's not many people that tend to. Well, I'm not sure about the exact top ten, but there's kind of a couple like Ed Sheeran and her, and uh, mm. maybe even like Kanye, maybe. But we'll. Maybe we shouldn't mm. talk about Kanye, but um, it's yeah. very rare that a new album comes 
out and it just occupies basically the whole album occupies the the top of the charts um it's it is yeah. it's just this crazy feat where it's like wow like that's they're they're really yeah. so far above that as soon as their new album drops everybody just gets sucked into it um mm. It's kind of crazy. Like, and it makes me think like that record label that Taylor Swift is getting annoyed at. Yeah. Why? Just give her what she wants. Just give her what she wants. You're going to make so much bank out of being partnered with Taylor Swift. I think like she wanted to own her own music and then yeah. they they agreed to a deal where she would own one album back for every new album she released oh, or something. Okay. Yeah, and she was just like, "This is ridiculous." I don't, I don't really know the story, but holy smokes! Yeah, I don't, I, mean, I, don't, I don't really understand. If someone the whole- like Taylor Swift, and I'm the music, I, I don't even the record label. I'm yeah. like Taylor, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> you can do absolutely whatever. I, I don't just yeah, bring I, me along for the ride. I don't really get the 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 relationship between record labels and and artists. I mean, I got I get it Me in the, in the no past. Idea. Is I mean, a big part of it, I guess, is distribution and, and marketing. So they're able to market uh, the music to to and and distribute it to radio stations and that sort of thing. But I feel like a lot of that could be done independently now uh, with with the the birth of the internet. But maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I guess they still provide studios and 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 staff and that sort of thing. So. You know, I'm I'm sure there's a, some, I'm sure there's some val there's there's you know some value to, to signing with a record label, but yeah, it does um is it mainly just the marketing? I think marketing distribution, so yeah. you know CDs and, and also yeah. distribution to radios, all the licensing. Like there's there is I guess a lot of uh, regulatory and, and contractual um, elements of of selling your music broadly, uh, but you would imagine that that is going away as as people kind of like if you if you just had your music on on Spotify, you're just um, licensing with Spotify, like you're not licensing out to different radio stations and that sort of thing. So you would think it would get less complex uh, in this new era, um, but I it's a, it's an area that's yeah well outside of my understanding. So I don't know. Mm. All right, that's uh, anyway good good on your T Swizz. I'll uh, I'll be listening to you later on on my ride home. No, I haven't I haven't even Beautiful. listened to a single one of her new songs yet. To be honest, um, can we talk about Uber earnings? Yes, Uber reported this week. Um, I don't usually look uh, too closely at Uber, but I was I was curious. I'd, I'd taken a look at um, food delivery businesses just out of pure interest, uh, not for an investment perspective or anything, just out of uh, curiosity a f- couple of months ago. So I kind of wanted to mm. circle back and just see how Uber's going because my conclusion Are they essentially- they bankrupt yet? Well, <laughs> they're not, not yet. Um, it's, it's <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a very they make funny- money that's a better That's a better question to ask. Do it they dep- make money yet? That's a really good question because it depends who you ask. If you ask okay. the management team, they are profitable. If you look yourself with your two eyes, <laughs> and assuming you're not blind. Of course we made money. Look at all this revenue we've created. It's actually quite uh, – It's. It, I posted on Twitter that it's my new favorite example of just dodgy account. Well, not dodgy accounting, not actual fraud, but uh, – Maybe misleading. Misleading accounting that uh, that works in Uber's favor that might not okay. truly represent the, uh, the full picture. So – uh, I'll give you some of the headline numbers. We'll, work, we'll start at the top where it's, it looks really great, and we'll, we'll slowly work our way down past the expenses and um, get to the get to the basement where it's um, 
it's kind of a it's not it's not great. Um, <laughs> Once we get down to the net income, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so at the top, there's of course gross bookings, which is kind of just all of the the, the kind of the money flowing um, from from payments for for deliveries and and for rides. Uh, so gross bookings reached uh, twenty nine billion dollars for the quarter, which was up twenty six percent year over year. So. They're massive now, you know, over a hundred billion in mm-hmm. revenue uh, per year. Um, humongous business, uh, and that kind of segments into three segments: um, mobility, delivery, and freight. I won't talk about freight because it's very small, but mobility, um, which is their ride sharing uh, component, was thirteen point seven billion, uh, up thirty eight percent year over year. Again, this is gross booking, so we haven't gotten to revenue for Uber yet. But delivery was uh, also thirteen point seven billion, up seven percent. I found that really odd. I genuinely thought this was a typo because not even to the next two decimal places, it's identical as well between wow. the revenue. So I don't know. And before, prior to that, they were very different. So I don't know if that's a typo um, and they're going to- Surely not. But it can't, is, it can't possibly be a typo. No, it's like the headline poss- number. There's so, so many eyes would have seen that number. Yeah. It's just very <laughs> odd that it was it was identical down to three decimal places. So- um, that is pretty ridiculous. That was that was kind of crazy. Yeah, that's that's hard. now I'm like, oh, maybe. <laughs> but it works. I mean, if freight's nothing and gross bookings were twenty nine point thirty six, yeah, that, I guess that makes sense. Well, yeah, it, it, it does add up. It adds up because yeah, it, it was like because freight was like one point seven or something like that. So in total, okay. it does add up. So but, it adds up. Um, yeah, that's exactly what I checked immediately. I was like, hang on a second, I got the calculator <laughs> out just to make sure it adds up because I thought there's no way that this doesn't add up. That's so dodgy. Um, but uh, in terms of their monthly active customers, is kind of a figure they they use as well. 124 million up 14% year over year. So good growth year over year. Um, bookings are continuing to expand at a high rate. Um, if you take out FX as well, those booking increases were quite a bit more as well. Um, I think delivery was up 13% or something if you exclude currency. So same as Netflix, same as what do we look at? Google, Facebook, all of these companies are facing FX kind of headwinds. Uh, revenue. Uh, grew by 72% year over year up to $8.3 billion, which sounds very, very impressive. Uh, but a lot of it- lockdown period? Uh, no, but a lot of that was yeah. from an acquisition. So they made an acquisition oh. um, in Uber Freight uh, and that drove um, quite a significant amount of um, that growth. But uh, also a large part of that growth was them uh, increasing their, uh, I've forgotten the name of the figure now, but it's the percentage that they take from- essentially the overall gross bookings figure. So what percentage Uber's cut is uh, as compared to um, the, the drivers and the, the restaurants and that sort of thing. Uh, that percentage went up. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll skip ahead a little bit, but essentially at the bottom, uh, Uber, well, <laughs> at the top of the the, uh, the press release, Uber says uh, adjusted EBITDA was $516 million, which are- uh, Great. So they're profitable. Love a good adjusted EBITDA. Yeah. So they're, they're profitable, guys. They made half a billion dollars- um, that's impressive, and that's it. Uh, do you want to move on now? Should we? Um, that's uh, it. yeah. Well, hang on. Just give me a second because I've just got to submit my buy order. Hang on. <laughs> All right, there we go. <laughs> no, so um, um, yeah, obviously that's uh, that's not the whole story. I mean, EBITDA no. strips out some of the most important uh, costs. I think as soon as you see, well, first of all, EBITDA is like questionable at best. Mm. As soon as you see the word adjusted, yeah, the fact that they have like, to adjust. 
They they have Throw to adjust an already adjusted figure. Like EBITDA is like yeah, yeah. it's like saying adjusted adjusted net income. That's really what it yeah. is. It's like it's like two adjustments. We're gonna adjust it twice to make it look better. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like that. <laughs> even the misleading figure was so bad that they had to adjust it. No, yeah, adjusted um, misleading figure. That's great. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, okay. So let's understand a bit about their actual profitability by just looking at the financial statements and just, you know, just ignore EBITDA. Um, at all costs. Uh, so revenue, of course, as I said, came in at eight point three billion. Cost of revenues, uh, so direct costs related to, to um, you know delivering food and that sort of thing, uh, was five point two billion. Uh, they then had eight hundred million dollars on research and development. I don't know what the hell <laughs> they are spending on. <laughs> That's an astounding eight hundred million. Yeah, I think it was two billion for the first nine months of the year, which is an astounding amount of money. Uh, which I have no idea what that is going towards. What is what's Uber? De- what are they developing? May- the o- the may- only thing, okay, <laughs> the only thing that I can possibly think of mm. that might even get in the realm of that is I remember that they were looking at aircraft. Yes, like drone delivery and and drones. The- so, the, but the only thing I can't remember, but if they. I don't know. Maybe this is Uber Freight R and D as well. If they've acquired some like testing Boeing planes or something like that, yeah. Because, uh, but I'm just like I have no idea. This is yeah. all speculation. Yeah. Boeing Seven. Cost. I mean, for for, for an unprofitable company spending ten percent of their revenue on on research and development is actually insane. Uh, so a, a, a plane, if they bought planes. Potentially, then that's a uh, hundred and uh, just over a hundred million dollars each. But I, I think a plane would probably fall into capex. I don't know if it would fall into research and development necessarily. But, c- but can, yeah, may- I maybe. So. I mean, I, I don't really know specifically. I'd have to ask someone. But yeah, if it was bought for R and D purposes, would it be in capex? Or would, yeah, or would it would yeah, true. Be in potentially, R&D? yeah. Maybe they bought a private jet for for R and D, right? Yeah, maybe because the CEO research. needs to fly between you know places. So it's a, he, maybe he's yeah. researching uh, it, how much he enjoys flying private. Maybe that's what it is. But, yeah, obviously that's just like a pie-in-the-sky kind of um, idea. Anyway, that's, uh, it's probably yeah. not true because 800 million that, – that, I'm just trying yeah, I, to, like, see yeah. how this number is even possible. Yeah, uh, and I'll be honest, I don't follow Uber all that closely, so maybe there's a – I mean, there's probably <laughs> – I don't know if there's a reasonable explanation, but there's probably an explanation for it. But in total, their operating expenses came in at $8.8 billion. So their operating loss – Yes, we're already at a loss at op- after operations. It was half a billion dollars. Um, so there you go. You, you know, the, the, their figure is we're profitable. Half we're ma- we've made half a billion operating loss. We haven't even got to interest or anything like that on their massive loans. Uh, is already you know ha- losing half a billion. They then paid hundred and fifty million dollars in interest expenses. So uh, all in all, if you take operating income and then add the interest expenses, um, then you know you're at. They've they've burned six hundred and fifty million dollars during the quarter, um, which is inc- wow. insane. Of course, we can look at cash flow. Um, cash on a cash flow basis, it's a little bit better. It's not great. They actually had three hundred and fifty eight million dollars in free cash flow. So the free cash flow positive until you look at. Uh, how they financed their compensation. So they do a lot of stock-based okay. compensation to avoid having to pay with cash. They spent in the quarter $482 million on stock-based compensation. So they spent their entire free cash flow and then some 
on stock-based compensation. That is an astronaut. I had to like double check the numbers on this because I, I was so confused as to how they could be spending half a billion dollars on stock-based. Who's stock taking that home? That's that, the, I, the CEO must be absolutely loving, absolutely loving the, his yeah. compensation plan. That is an, that is an absolute have. insane figure. Um, I can't remember what the CEO was making, but it was a lot. And the other executives were getting paid a lot as well. Mm. Um, and you might think, well, that's not a real cash expense. So why do we care about that? Well, it, it's not a real cash expense, but it, it immediately dilutes the shareholders. So the way you should think about it is if they pay stock-based compensation, imagine that they have to then offset those added shares by buying back stock in the market, which would have been $482 million. So uh, you pay for it one way or the other. You just pay for it in less ownership, a smaller percentage ownership than uh, in actual the business actually spending cash. So Yeah, yeah. But the, the conclusion here is by any measure, operating income cash flow after stock-based compensation, they're not profitable. There's there's no way you can describe no. this business as profitable because just looking at their operations, they're not profitable. Unless you can argue that the stock-based comp is just, they could cut that out. But if they could, then why wouldn't they? Um, but yeah, it, it is insane. This is a real quote from the management team. This is a real qu- quote from the press release. Our right. global scale and unique platform advantages are working together to drive more profitable growth. So, well, well, yeah. Geez, that's what a what a story. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, but that, um, that's the thing is that they they could they do they try and structure it, and this is why you've really got to, you know. And I'm sure the media probably there were some probably media outlets that picked this up, and maybe some of them called it called them out. But I'm sure I could find one that was like. Uber profitable, blah 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 blah. There oh yeah, probably is they, one they out all there. were. I, I looked at a bunch of. Were they? I looked at a bunch of CNBC interviews and that sort of thing, and no one was even blinking an eye. Everyone right. was just like, "Oh yeah, so the profitable for the second straight quarter or whatever." They did an interview with the CEO, didn't even ask him about stock based compensation. Wow, it's just I don't this know. This is why you have to do your own research. Yeah, you cannot just go with what's in the media. Yeah, and and look, I'm not saying that they're a bad business necessarily, or I, I haven't analysed them, but I don't think we know uh, enough about them. No, yeah. but it's certainly something I look for is the management team l- describing the business as it truly is, and for a management team to say that they're profitable when they're clearly not by pretty much any normal standard in finance besides EBITDA, which is this kind of fake accounting fugazi yeah. that that uh, companies use. Uh, it's, uh, it's a wazi, it's a woozy, it's a... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, there you go. Anyway, yeah. that's the All story. Right. Let's do some Q&A. All right. Um, and oh. let's do this one because it's very in line with what we we're just talking about. Um, should we go through this one? Oh, Do you yeah. want to ask ask this one? Yeah, yeah. I'll give you another one. Uh, hi, guys. Thanks for the podcast. No worries. Thanks for listening. Uh, what do you think about stock-based compensation as being a part of operating cash flow? Does this impact how you calculate intrinsic value? Yeah, yeah. it is related so to this what we're talking about. Yeah, this is very related. Um, so I thought we'd just, we'd just get this one off the bat. Um, I've written a little blurb here. Um, it's interesting because to find um, the operating cash flow on the cash flow statement you add back in the non-cash expenses and the t- like the depreciation the am- amortization um and that's because they need to be factored in because they don't actually take cash from the company and like what we were just saying another non-cash expense is stock-based comp for workers and directors and executives and so on um which it and what you were talking about before it does actually cost 
the shareholders something, mm. but it it's a weird one because it doesn't cost them cash. Mm. Um, it costs them stock. But um, yeah, in 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 your operating cash flow, then your stock based comp gets added back in, which increases the operating cash flow. But in doing so, then you increase your free cash flow, which you might use for your discounted cash flow analysis. Um, which can obviously throw you off. So um, we were talking about this a little bit off air, and it probably makes uh, you probably already know where we're going with this because uh, Hamish was just talking about it. Simplest thing to do is just treat, even though it's not, just treat stock-based comp as if it is a cash expense, um, and just remove it from your free cash flow or your owner's earnings. Um, yeah, I think that's that's pretty much what you need to do. Yeah. But interesting. Yeah. Anything else to add on that? That's. I think that's um, pretty much it. I don't always remove it if I'm doing kind of a quick analysis because in a lot of mm. companies, it's well, not an absurdly yeah. high figure. But in, yeah, take like an Uber. Normally, it doesn't catch you out. No, exactly. But uh, it, it can, and especially until tech, it does. It te- techly, te- especially uh, tech businesses, um, they tend to pay a lot of stock. Um, but yeah, something like Uber, yeah, it's a, the difference between them being profitable and, and negative so it's you know it's mm. it's, it's 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 ripping their entire profitability um and and so that absolutely needs to be taken into account whereas for other businesses it might be five percent mm. or something so it's you know yeah. it's not as important i think nor in most situations it probably wouldn't catch you out no. but if you apply if you so if you're doing like just a quick kind of analysis then whatever just go for it but yeah th- when you're actually going deep at least take a look at the stock-based comp because, yeah, if you did it for a company like Uber, then you would be caught out. You would be caught red-handed yeah. um, and, with and an overinflated valuation. Yeah, and one way to always notice is is my kind of rule is I generally want to avoid companies with consistently increasing shares outstanding because I want to know that my one share is a certain piece of the pie and that they're not just constantly yeah. diluting. And if you're keeping an eye on that over time, you can very quickly see, okay, they're diluting. Is it based on stock-based compensation or are they just raising capital and diluting? Whatever it is. So that's kind yeah. of how I always check is just look at the shares outstanding over time. Yeah. All right. Cool. Um, um, give me this one. If I'll you ask. Yeah, I'll ask you uh, this question. Hamish, is Tesla within your circle of competence? What price would it take for you uh, for it to be obviously cheap? Yeah. It looks cheap to me. It's $75 per share. Do you have any? Yeah, I think... I like Tesla as a business. Um, I think I probably could wrap my head around the auto industry. I've, I've invested in the RV industry, which is um, you know has some of the similar uh, characteristics of, of, of physical capex and that sort of thing. Um, my thing for Tesla is the stock price has always reflected the inclusion of, uh, at least it, this is my view, the inclusion of, of success in industries I don't understand. So things like energy um, and uh, even things like autonomy. These are technologies that I don't really understand. I don't know what the landscape will look like uh and it seems to me that given tesla's valuation you would have to be making a judgment a considerable judgment about those things uh to invest confidently in the business and that's kind of my view and that's how i think about a lot of other businesses i mean I understand the advertising landscape very well, uh, but for something like Google, it's a little bit more challenging for me because a large part of their valuation, I think, is their cloud business, and that's a little bit more complex. It's a little bit more uncertain. Uh, so that's how I think about businesses is I need to be able to understand all of the main components that are driving value in the business. And um, and sometimes you don't need to understand them. I mean, if say, take if Tesla got cheap enough and just on the auto business, then yeah, I could maybe 
you know, say that everything else is kind of cherry on top of the cake um, and trust that Musk would have some level of success in some of those industries. But uh, but that, I don't think that's the case with, with Tesla as it currently exists right now. Um, so that's my, that's my thoughts on it. Too hard, Pyle? Too hard. Definitely too hard. Fair enough. Yeah, it is. It is getting complicated. If if you're not already like I'm already in it, I I've been following it for so long that I just know everything. But um, well, I don't know everything. I know the different parts of their business and how they run yeah, it yeah. and where things are manufactured and which factories, what's going on, how many cars out of each. I know that sort of stuff. But yeah, yeah, for sure, it is getting to a point. It's kind of like Disney, where if you try and uh, <laughs> if you like try and get into Disney now and you try and figure out it's this, it's that, it's this, the it's movies and the d- direct to consumer, they got theme parks as well, and it's like I think they were running like an education business in China. <laughs> For like Chinese students and stuff at one right, point, Disney. yeah, so <laughs> it's just like what? And then there's merchandising, licensing, blah blah blah. There's like so many different factors that it's like woof, cruise line as well. So yeah. yeah, yeah, it's one of those ones where some of these businesses are really cool and really interesting, but sometimes if you just trying to get into it, you either need to give yourself a lot more time to get up to speed and get familiar with every the ins and outs of it, or you just chuck it on the too hard pile. Man, my too hard pile's looking pretty big over there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's pretty much the entire fifty thousand of stocks on the on the public pretty market. Much. So, yeah. but that's okay. I mean, you only need a handful of of good picks, so don't be afraid to to say something's too hard for you. I, I, yeah, I, most stocks are too difficult, even if they seem yep. easy to other people. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think the best investors of the world are the ones that are able to stand up and say, "I don't know." Yeah, I think the the if you're someone that stands up and say, oh, yeah, I know, I'm across it, I'm good, yeah, I'm G, then mm. you're going to get slaughtered at one point or another. The best thing you can say is, hmm, actually, I don't know. Yeah. Because then you're, you're at least honest with yourself, what you do know, what you don't know. Yeah. It's a very big part of investing. Yeah. Underrated. That's why, like, all, like I, I don't want to get too controversial here, but all of the... Or all of the people on YouTube or Instagram, they go, let me tell you something about uh, this company. I'm just so good and I know exactly what I'm doing and you should do it too because it's obvious. Like they are going yeah. to get their asses handed to them at one point in their yeah. life and they will be broke. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> you can just tell because of their personality, like how yeah. they think about things. You yeah. just tell. Yeah. yeah, it is kind of insane just to give broad, you know, even legally, not even legally speaking, but to give tips on stocks broadly to the internet just makes no sense, I think. Um, no, it doesn't. Because everyone- it's quite quite deceptive, yeah. really. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, exactly. But anyway. Um, all right. We are running over. So, let's uh, wrap things up. Sound good? Yeah. Yeah, thanks everyone for tuning in. As always, uh, you can head over to the YouTube version of the podcast or if you're on Spotify, you can just scroll down and if you have a question, uh, you can ask your questions in the comment section of of Spotify or on uh, on YouTube. And uh, we've uh, we've got a few questions, but uh, we're always taking more. So if you have a question, uh, chuck it in there and uh, we'll we'll do our best to to get to a couple every week. Uh, As always, thanks to ShareSite for sponsoring, sharesite.com forward slash young investors. Go check it out. It's fantastic. As I said, even if you're outside of Australia, New Zealand, uh, and if tax time is upon you, then you can use ShareSite to help you in that aspect or even just to track your portfolio performance over time. Uh, it's an absolute lifesaver. Uh, thanks to Brandon for joining me, oh. as always. No thanks, worries, mate. mate. And uh, Cheers, we'll, mate. we'll see you guys next week. See you later, guys. See you later.